Book One, Sections One through Five of Politics by Aristotle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Politics by Aristotle, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Book One, Section One through Five. Book One, Section One. Every state is a community of some kind, and every community is established with a view to some good. For mankind always act in order to obtain that which they think good. But if all communities aim at some good, the state or political community, which is the highest of all and which embraces all the rest, aims at good in a greater degree than any other, and at the highest good. Some people think that the qualifications of a statesman, king, householder and master are the same, and that they differ not in kind, but only in the number of their subjects. For example, the ruler over a few is called a master, over more the manager of a household, over a still larger number a statesman or king, as if there were no difference between a great household and a small state. The distinction which is made between the king and the statesman is as follows. When the government is personal, the ruler is a king. When, according to the rules of the political science, the citizens rule, and are ruled in turn, then he is called a statesman. But all this is a mistake, for governments differ in kind, as will be evident to anyone who considers the matter according to the method which has hitherto guided us. As in other departments of science, so in politics the compound should always be resolved into the simple elements, or least parts of the whole. We must therefore look at the elements of which the state is composed, in order that we may see in what the different kinds of rule differ from one another, and whether any scientific result can be obtained about each one of them. Section 2. He who thus considers things in their first growth and origin, whether a state or anything else, will obtain the clearest view of them. In the first place there must be a union of those who cannot exist without each other, namely of male and female, that the race may continue. And this is a union which is formed not of deliberate purpose, but because, in common with other animals and with plants, mankind have a natural desire to leave behind them an image of themselves, and of a natural ruler and subject, that both may be preserved. For that which can foresee by the exercise of mind is by nature intended to be lord and master, and that which can with its body give effect to such foresight is a subject, and by nature a slave. Hence master and slave have the same interest. Now nature has distinguished between the female and the slave, for she is not niggardly, like the smith who fashions the Delphian knife for many uses. She makes each thing for a single use, and every instrument is best when intended for one and not for many uses. But among barbarians no distinction is made between women and slaves, because there is no natural ruler among them. They are a community of slaves, male and female, Wherefore, the poets say, It is meet that Hellenes should rule over barbarians, as if they thought that the barbarian and the slave were by nature one. Of these two relationships, between a man and woman, master and slave, the first thing to arise is the family, and Hesiod is right when he says, First house and wife, and an ox for the plough. For the ox is the poor man's slave, the family is the association established by nature for the supply of men's everyday wants, and the members of it are called by Carandus, 
companions of the cupboard, and by Epimenides the Cretan, companions of the manger. But when several families are united, and the association aims at something more than the supply of daily needs, the first society to be formed is the village, and the most natural form of the village appears to be that of a colony from the family, composed of the children and grandchildren, who are said to be suckled with the same milk. And this is the reason why Hellenic states were originally governed by kings, because the Hellenes were under royal rule before they came together, as the barbarians still are. Every family is ruled by the eldest, and therefore in the colonies of the family the kingly form of government prevailed because they were of the same blood. As Homer says, each one gives law to his children and to his wives, for they lived dispersedly, as was the manner in ancient times. Wherefore men say that gods have a king, because they themselves either are or were in ancient times under the rule of a king, for they imagine not only the forms of the gods, but their ways of lives to be like their own. When several villages are united in a single complete community, large enough to be nearly or quite self-sufficing, the state comes into existence, originating in the bare needs of life, and continuing in existence for the sake of a good life. Therefore, if the earlier forms of society are natural, so is the state, for it is the end of them, and the nature of a thing is its end. For what each thing is when fully developed we call its nature, whether we are speaking of a man, a horse, or a family. Besides, the final cause and the end of a thing is the best, and to be self-sufficing is the end and the best. Hence, it is evident that the state is a creation of nature, and that man is by nature a political animal. And he who by nature, and not by mere accident, is without a state, is either a bad man or above humanity. He is like the tribeless, lawless, hearthless one whom Homer denounces. The natural outcast is forthwith a lover of war. He may be compared to an isolated peace at draughts. Now, that man is more of a political animal than bees or any other gregarious animals is evident. Nature, as we often say, makes nothing in vain, and man is the only animal whom she has endowed with the gift of speech. And whereas mere voice is but an indication of pleasure or pain, and is therefore found in other animals, for their nature attains to the perception of pleasure and pain, and the intimation of them to one another, and no further. The power of speech is intended to set forth the expedient and inexpedient, and therefore likewise the just and unjust. And it is a characteristic of man that he alone has any sense of good or evil, of just and unjust, and the like. And the association of living beings who have this sense makes a family and a state. Further, the state is by nature clearly prior to the family and to the individual, since the whole is of necessity prior to the part. For example, if the whole body be destroyed, there will be no foot or hand, except in an equivocal sense, as we might sense of a stone hand, when destroyed the hand will be no better than that. But things are defined by their working and power, and we ought not say that they are the same when they no longer have their proper quality, but only that they have the same name. The proof that the state is the creation of nature and prior to the individual is that the individual, when isolated, is not self-sufficing, and therefore he is like a part in relation to the whole. But he who is unable to live in society, or who has no need because he is sufficient for himself, must either be a beast or a god, 
for he is no part of a state. A social instinct is implanted in all men by nature, and yet he who first founded the state was the greatest of benefactors. For man, when perfected, is the best of animals, but when separated from law and justice, he is the worst of all, since armed injustice is the more dangerous, and he is equipped at birth with arms, meant to be used by intelligence and virtue, which he may use for the worst ends. Wherefore, if he have not virtue, he is the most unholy and most savage of animals, and most full of lust and gluttony. But justice is the bond of men and states. For the administration of justice, which is the determination of what is just, is the principle of order in political society. 3. Seeing, then, that the state is made up of households, before speaking of the state, we must speak of the management of the household. The parts of household management correspond to the persons who compose the household, and a complete household consists of slaves and freemen. Now we should begin by examining everything in its fewest possible elements, and that the first and fewest possible parts of a family are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. We have, therefore, to consider what each of these three relations is and ought to be. I mean the relation of master and servant, the marriage relation, the conjunction of man and wife, has no name of its own. And thirdly, the procreative relation. This also has no proper name. And there is another element of a household, the so-called art of getting wealth, which, according to some, is identical with household management, according to others, a principal part of it. The nature of this art will also have to be considered by us. Let us first speak of master and slave, looking to the needs of practical life, and also seeking to attain some better theory of their relation than exists at present. For some are of the opinion that the rule of a master is a science, and that the management of a household, and the mastership of slaves, and the political and royal rule, as I was saying at the outset, are all the same. Others affirm that the rule of a master over slaves is contrary to nature and that the distinction between slave and freeman exists by law only, and not by nature, and being in interference with nature is therefore unjust. 4. Property is a part of the household, and the art of acquiring property is a part of the art of managing the household. For no man can live well, or indeed live at all, unless he be provided with necessaries. And as in the arts which have a definite sphere, the workers must also have their own proper instruments, for the accomplishment of their work. So it is in the management of a household. Now instruments are of various sorts. Some are living, others lifeless. In the rudder, the pilot of a ship has a lifeless, in the lookout man, a living instrument. For in the arts, the servant is a kind of instrument. Thus, too, a possession is an instrument for maintaining life. And so, in the arrangement of a family, a slave is a living possession, the property, a number of such instruments, and the servant is himself an instrument which takes precedence over all other instruments. For if every instrument could accomplish its own work, obeying or anticipating the will of others, like the statues of Daedalus, or the tripods of Hephaestus, which says the poet, of their own accord entered the assembly of the gods, if, in like manner, the shuttle would weave, and the plectrum touch the lyre without a hand to guide them, chief workmen would not want servants, nor masters slaves. Here, however, another distinction must be drawn. The instrument commonly so-called are instruments of production, whilst a possession is an instrument of action. The shuttle, for example, is not only of use, but something else is made of it. 
whereas of a garment or of a bed there is only the use. Further, as production and action are different in kind, and both require instruments, the instruments which they employ must likewise differ in kind. But life is action, and not production, and therefore the slave is the minister of action. Again, a possession is spoken of as a part is spoken of. For the part is not only a part of something else, but wholly belongs to it, and this is also true of a possession. The master is only the master of the slave. He does not belong to him, whereas the slave is not only the slave of his master, but wholly belongs to him. Hence we see what is the nature and office of a slave. He who is by nature not his own, but another's man, is by nature a slave, and he may be said to be another's man, who, being a human being, is also a possession. And a possession may be defined as an instrument of action, separable from the possessor. 5. But is there any one thus intended by nature to be a slave, and for whom such a condition is expedient and right, or rather is not all slavery a violation of nature? There is no difficulty in answering this question, on grounds both of reason and of fact, for that some should rule, and others be ruled as a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation, others for rule. And there are many kinds, both of rulers and subjects and that the rule is better which is exercised over better subjects. For example, to rule over men is better than to rule over wild beasts. For the work is better, which is executed by better workmen. And where one man rules and another is ruled, they may be said to have a work. For in all things which can form a composite whole, and which are made up of parts, whether continuous or discrete, a distinction between the ruling and the subject element comes to the fight. Such a duality exists in living creatures, but not in them only. It originates in the constitution of the universe. Even in things which have no life, there is a ruling principle, as in a musical mode. But we are wandering from the subject. We will therefore restrict ourselves to the living creature, which in the first place consists of a soul and body. And of these two, the one is by nature the ruler, and the other the subject. But we must look for intentions of nature in things which retain their nature and not in things which are corrupted. And therefore we must study the man who is in the most perfect state both of body and soul, for in him we shall see the true relation of the two, although in bad or corrupted natures the body will often appear to rule over the soul, because they are in an evil and unnatural condition. At all events we may firstly observe in living creatures both a despotical and a constitutional rule, for the soul rules the body with the despotical rule, whereas the intellect rules the appetites with the constitutional and royal rule. And it is clear that the rule of the soul over the body, and of the mind, and the rational element over the passionate, is natural and expedient, whereas the equality of the two, or the rule of the inferior, is always hurtful. The same holds good of animals in relation to men, for tame animals have a better nature than wild, and all tame animals are better off when they are ruled by man, for then they are preserved. Again, the male is by nature superior, and the female inferior, and the one rules, and the other is ruled. This principle of necessity extends to all mankind. Where, then, there is such a difference as that between soul and body, or between men and animals, as in the case of those whose business is to use their body and can do nothing better, the lower sort are by nature slaves, and it is better for them, as for all inferiors, that they should be under the rule of a master. For he who can be, and therefore is, another's, 
and he who participates in rational principle enough to apprehend, but not to have such a principle, is a slave by nature. Whereas the lower animals cannot even apprehend a principle, they obey their instincts. And indeed the use made of slaves and of tame animals is not very different, for both with their bodies minister to the needs of life. Nature would like to distinguish between the bodies of freemen and slaves, making the one strong for servile labor, the other upright, and although useless for such services, useful for political life and the arts both of war and peace. But the opposite often happens, that some have the souls and others have the bodies of freemen. And doubtless if men differed from one another in the mere forms of their bodies as much as the statues of the gods do from men, all would acknowledge that the inferior class should be the slaves of the superior. And if this is true of the body, how much more just than a similar distinction should exist in the soul. But the beauty of the body is seen, whereas the beauty of the soul is not seen. It is clear then that some men are by nature free and others slaves, and that for these latter slavery is both expedient and right. End of chapter 1, section 1 through 5.